2: Hello everybody and welcome to another edition of the World Football Index Podcast. Not an extra, it's been a while, but it's, it's the actual WFI main pod back again. Delighted to say, I'm joined as always by my co-host Armando Angulo for this one. And tonight we're, we've got a couple of guests, and we're going to talk all about uh, the Copa Libertadores, which will be starting. Um, actually, the qualifiers start tomorrow night, so so very timely in in, in our our timing of this one. Uh, Armando, it's been a long time on WFI. It's really good to be back again.
3: Yeah, man, it's been far too long. I think our schedules conflicted over the holiday period, and then I think uh, you had some technical difficulties. But and the last time we talked was on somebody else's podcast, so it's kind of good to be back home and and, and chatting with you, my friend.
2: Data, we've been off doing our different things on extra and whatnot. But I'll say the old time zone differences and whatnot with me staying static, you moving a further hour away, it's it's caused a few problems. But here we are. Hopefully, with a little bit of doris, we'll be able to get on. And two guests that are are rejoining us uh, again for the second appearance, uh, first up in Chile uh is Adam Brandon, uh Norwich City supporter. Uh you happy man tonight with your new signing?
4: Um yeah, I think I think uh I think the new signing this evening from Coventry I think I think he's one for the future, but I'm happy with the work we did earlier in the window with Stephen Naismith coming in and, and uh, Tim Closer as well. Looking forward to seeing him play so yeah, should be interesting. Hopefully, it'll be enough to keep us up.
2: Oh, indeed! I would, I would like to see you stay up. And and also joining us is Austin Miller, a Stoke fan, another one who's probably very happy this evening. Hi, uh, are you, Austin? You're very welcome back.
0: I'm good, Dave. I'm good. It's good to be back. Yeah, fantastic window. Stoke City. Sexy Stoke City, right? Actually playing football. It's, it's great stuff. It's good to see.
2: Uh, indeed, from a team we used to class as a rugby team, it's quite a turnaround uh, what Hughes has done there. Yeah, that's but, for listen, sure. Uh, Armando and I are keeping quiet because we our team did nothing. <laughs> there was no transfer window for us. Uh, but, but I'm okay uh, with it. I'm okay, okay with
0: it. <laughs> You I didn't sign we, Pato, I think,
3: we
2: and that's a, win. No, that was
3: a, that's a win. that was
2: that's a win. That was that was a bullet dodged. Believe you me, it was a bullet dodged. It's Chelsea's problem, not ours. Um, and and I am looking for. I'm actually very curious to see what he does at Chelsea. Not that I think he'll do too much, but I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll chat somewhere in, in, in there about uh, about that in the Brazilian section. But to, to kick things off, um, as I say, a couple little bit of It's 38 teams going into it uh, in into eight groups. And I'm going to start with Adam here because we do, it's like the Europa champion, or the Europe. Champions League uh, there is a playoff to get into the actual group stages which start tomorrow night and I know that one of the Chilean teams are actually involved in that Adam. Uh, do you want to talk us through that a little bit?
4: Yeah um, well the team involved from Chile tomorrow night is hmm. going to be uh, Universidad de Chile They're in the competition thanks to winning the Copa Chile la- at the end of last year they beat their fierce rivals Colo Colo in a penalty shootout. That was under Martin Lasarte who who eventually lost his job at the end of last year to Jorge Paoli's number two, Sebastián Becaseci. So it should be interesting um, to see how Becaseci gets on. Universidad de Chile. They face uh, River Plate of Uruguay. Not the giants of Argentina, but the. Yeah, you are here. also
2: involved. It may, uh, we may, we may also add. Uh, there's two River Plate. <laughs> this one, is anyone who gets uh, confused by it?
4: Yeah, it could be. Um, to give you a little bit of background on Universidad de Chile, for those who don't know, you know they've probably been the most successful club club in Chile in recent years. Um, Colo Colo are the most successful club ever in Chile, but in recent years, they've probably edged them slightly, especially mainly thanks to the Jorge Sampaoli era. Where they were Copa Sudamericana champions in 2011. And then they got to the semi-finals of the Copa Li- Libertadores in 2012. And they reached that stage in 2010 under a different manager as well. Then they've seen their squad dismantled. You know, players such as Eduardo Vargas and, um, Angelo Henriquez, uh, Marcelo Diaz, Charles, Charles Arangas, all of those kind of moved on. So bigger and better things they go into this this copper libertadores with the most expensive squad out the chilean sides they, they include new signings gonzalo Jara, who's a chilean international which is quite a coup for them especially as they've had many um, defensive issues and they've also got argentinians fabian monzon and luis farina who should add some quality to their team as well um I think what we've seen so far of Becasecci's Lou is, uh, some of the defensive issues remain, but they do possess a fairly potent attack. In his home debut match, Becasecchi guided his side to an 8-1 victory over O'Higgins, which sent shockwaves through Chilean football. Um, but that, 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 that stunning home win was actually sandwiched between two one-one draws away from home. Yeah, there's a, there's elements of kind of a Jekyll and Hyde side.
2: No, and they do um, Adam. You know, of your three teams that are they're going through there, you, you know, what what would be. Um... You know the realistic expectations of them within this tournament. Um, you know, you, you say that uh, Universidad de Chile uh, would be the strongest of the, of the teams going in there. What do, what do you feel the expectations would be for, for, for the likes of those teams?
4: Yeah, well, they've got the most expensive squad. I'm not sure it's the strongest. It's probably it's probably about level with Colo Colo really, um, but Colo Colo a bit more settled at the moment. So they won the they won the most recent. Um, tournament here in Chile and and the other thing Colo Colo have going for them is that they have an easier group um, and that's if flu even managed to get past this playoff that they've got which is no guarantee you know Uruguayan sides are always tough to beat it's, it's going to be interesting to see Um I, I don't hold much hope for Cobrasal uh, they've got a pretty tough group I think if I had to bet on it then I'd bet at the moment for Colo Colo to get through their group mm-hmm. but my feeling is if Becca said she's Lou come together and it all clicks then they could go deep in the competition
2: no it's a, it's a wonderful tournament you know in regards to it's completely different to, the, to what we see in the Champions league because it's so unpredictable where yeah. where, the, where the Champions League of Europe you, you know you can nearly predict who's going to come from groups and we do have the odd surprise yeah. but the, the Libertadores does a little bit more. I'm, I'm going to swing across now to to our Mexican desk and Mr. Angulo. Um, and, and what 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 do you make of, of of the teams entering from from Mexico? You know, you have a pretty good record there at Mando going in. You know, the previous uh, seasons, you know, Mexican teams have been pretty strong and pretty deep in this one. What what, what do you expect this season? Uh, I mean, for us, I mean, last year you saw we 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 got with
3: Tigres getting to the final and coming up a little bit short there in Libertadores, and and it, I mean, we've had good showings. Chivas. And Recent memory also had a good little run there, but for me, I I, I don't feel like any of the teams in the tournament this uh, this go around for us are are as strong as those teams. I mean, Puebla is going to be playing Racing uh, to tomorrow, no, the day after tomorrow uh, for the for the play in, and I don't know that's going to be a tough tough ask of Puebla. Uh, racing is a really quality side and, and I'm not too sure that, that, uh, Puebla has enough to, uh, to overcome racing. So I really think that if they can get through that, even then, I think that in their group, they'd have to come up with like Deportivo Cali, Boca Junior, and Bolivar. So those are tough teams. I mean, Boca Junior is almost guaranteed to get through. And then I, I don't know, Deportivo Cali is probably a stronger team as well. So that's going to be tough right there. Uh, and then for the other teams, Toluca, Toluca is a strong side. They have some quality players, some young players coming through they also have a good mix of veterans that's also going to be tough ask of them they're not uh, uh, they're not exactly top, top, top tier, but it, it, they are a quality side. They, they can put it together. If they can bring it together, then they'll be okay. But I, I think with the, with the Liga MX schedule also going through right now, it's going to be a little tough for them. Grêmio is going to be in their group. They're a tough side. San Lorenzo's in their group as well and Quito. I mean, you know, these teams are getting drawn into some really tough groups. Uh, uh the favorite, I think, that's going to have the strongest run for Mexican teams is going to be Pumas. Pumas had a strong showing last, last season or, or this past tournament in Apertura, and they made it deep into the playoffs. So Pumas is probably one of the stronger teams. For me, if I had to put my money on it, I, getting farther and advancing and getting out of the group for sure, is going to be Pumas. They have some good young players like Juan Jose Carlos Van Rankin. They also have some good, you know, solid caliber veterans in there too. You know, Francisco Mesa and players of that ilk. So I think they're going to be okay. That's the team that I probably think is going to get the furthest out of the Mexican clubs, to be honest.
2: Indeed. Um, and I'll come across to Austin now, um, <clears throat> again, closer to home for me in, in Brazil here. And, um, you, you know, Brazil have the, the four qualifiers going in this year. Um, pretty standard, um, you know, pretty standard names in there, the names you would expect, uh, of Corinthians, Palmeiras, uh, <laughs> Atletico Monero, uh, Grêmio, and Sao Paulo. Um, Corinthians this year, Austin have had, uh, let's say, to call it a bit of a clear-out is an understatement. There's, there's virtually nobody left um, in this window. What, what have you made of all that, number one, and, and how much do you think that will impact on, on Corinthians and on their, their Libertadores campaign? It's been absolutely
0: fascinating to watch what has happened with Corinthians because two months ago, this team was sitting atop Brazilian football. They'd won the Brazil down by a huge total. They had the best manager in Brazil, in Chichi, and they had a really good side, and they were assuredly one of the Libertadores' favourites. And then this offseason happens and they've just absolutely gotten raided. They've lost their best central defender, Gilles. He left. They lost Halfi in their defensive midfield. They lost Jadson and Hinato Augusto. Wagner Lovey got himself back to Europe miraculously. I don't know how that'll work out, but he's gone. And so they've Malcolm just left the Bordeaux. Alexandre Pato was on their books. He's now at Chelsea. They've lost seven legitimate players who could have helped them this year. And they didn't really bring in all that much. They brought in Marloni in the midfield. He's going to be good. They hung on to Casio, their goalkeeper. It's going to be a really interesting campaign for Corinthians to see what they do in the Libertadores. Two months ago, they were probably one of the two or three favorites for this tournament. Now,
2: round of 16, maybe as far as they get. No, I, I, you know, it is quite incredible. You know, what you said the last six major players. I would have said five in Fagner Love, but that's me. Uh, <laughs> uh, t- to be honest with you, the Brazilian teams do not really look that's strong going into this. Um, you know, again, it's really hard to look beyond the Argentinians, you know, to, to, to look for, 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 the, for the strength of nations. Um, you know, Monero, we don't know really what, what we're going to, we're going to see, but I do feel Sao Paulo are a bit of a dark horse in regards to the Brazilians, uh, or the Brazilian sides going into it. And, and, you know, they play again tomorrow night as well in a qualifier, but I do expect them to reveal on that one. What, what, what were your thoughts on that one, Austin? Firstly, Sao Paulo even being in the tournament is a bit of a miracle for them. They didn't
0: look like a Libertadores side last year, and then they kind of slip in with the fourth-place spot. They have a lot of talent, but I think the question for them is they're bringing in a new manager, uh, Edgardo Bausa, who led San Lorenzo to the Copa Libertadores a couple years back. Jonathan Kaliri moves over from Boca. He's going to play there for six months. They're hoping he's going to be their talisman up top. They have a lot of attacking options. They also have Alan Kardecchi. Centurion is a highly rated Argentine. They brought in Diego Lugano to play center back for them, kind of to take the role of Roger Yoseni, who finally, after two-plus decades, is no longer with the club. I think you're right. Sao Paulo could definitely be a dark horse in this tournament, and it just shows you how quickly things can change because two months ago, this Sao Paulo side wasn't very highly rated. It didn't even feel like they should be in the Libertadores. They get a really easy draw in their playoff group. Their actual group is fine. Sure, River Plate's there, but the other two sides are from Bolivia and Venezuela, which is exactly what you're looking for in your group. Yes, yeah, Paulo is a dark horse. I can absolutely see that.
2: Yeah, indeed. And, and I know your heart lies with Palmeiras, uh, so it would be remiss of me not to mention them. Uh, how do you how do you feel that they have strengthened or or, or weakened over over the period? Yeah. And what's your I, expectation for the expectation really for I, I, them for the Libertadores?
0: I'm quite proud of Palmeiras for qualifying for the Libertadores, the Copa do Brasil's final with the penalty shootout. It was phenomenal. It was great, great television. It was fun to watch. I'm really happy what Palmeiras has done in the offseason this year. They haven't gone too far out to try to sign a bunch of players to make a run at the Libertadores. Are they one of the favorites? No. I think there's still one central defender away from being a really good team. That was the question I had for them in the offseason. And they didn't go and answer that, really. They only brought in Edu Senna from Corinthians. I don't think he's going to do all that much. This is a team with good attacking options. I thought they made some good signings in the offseason. Gian in the midfield. The defensive midfield is going to be strong. I like Eriki up top. He's only 21. He's a name to keep an eye on a couple years down the road. He could be leaving Brazil as a very good player. They still have Gabriel Jesus. Dudu's proved himself as a good player. Lucas Barrios is still up top. I think it's a really good side. I think round of 16, round of 8, maybe a semifinal is about the most you can expect from this side. But I think they're well positioned. The header managers in Brazil, Marcelo Oliveira. I'm really happy where the club is at right now. I'm happy with what they did this offseason.
2: No, I, I hear you on that. Uh, and you know, stu- we, we, we The last time we spoke, we, we spoke all about stability and the lack of it, and certainly in management around the clubs in in Brazil. So Palmeiras, you know, are a shining light in that uh, in that regard. But but just moving on, I'm going to come back to Adam again and and, and talk a little bit about Chile and and maybe some players for for, for people in Europe and around the world here, we're maybe not so familiar of, who might catch the eye uh, in in the three contenders from Chile and, and maybe some some names. Not I say maybe not. We're not familiar with. That we could look out for.
4: I, th- I think um, I think a lot of uh, a lot of the hopes will probably rest with their more experienced players in in each of the sides now with Colo Colo. Uh, the key man for them, in my opinion, is the midfielder, um, Jaime Valdez, who used to play for Parma. You know, he's 35 years old. Um, he had many years in Italy. The other one to, who is a bit of a tal- talisman for them is, uh, is Esteban, is uh, Esteban Perales, who, who is also 35 years old. And the, this is kind of my only doubt about um, Colo Colo advancing from this group is that, you know, their key players are aging. Their goalkeeper as well, Paraguayan international, Justovia. He's 38 years old. They do have some up and coming players. Martin Rodriguez, uh, Brian Cavallo, Camilo Rodriguez. You know, these players, uh, these players could shine. Um, uh, but it's, it's far, it's far from, uh, far from a guarantee. As for Universidad de Chile, then, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like to pick out necessary star. I think a lot of, a lot of their performance will probably come down to their manager and how he sets them up. And if he can get them playing the same way as, um, as Sam Paoli had them playing a few years ago, you know, I think some stars could emerge who weren't necessarily seen as stars beforehand, which is basically what happened with with that universal at the Chile side you know players like Marcelo Diaz and Charles Araque suddenly came to prominence so i th- i think it's a bit of a wait and see uh Cobreсал they haven't got any uh real stars to speak of although they are a kind of base style and kind of you know make trying to keep a clean sheet first and then maybe try and nick a goal a counter- on the counter attack maybe yeah, but they, they have some key players such as uh Alexis Salata at the back, Diego Silva as well, can be key. And then in midfield, they've just uh, re-signed Rodrigo Bureña back from Lul. So he could be key the, the and the man they look for goals uh, up front is uh, Eva Cantero, Paraguayan striker. So, But he's been out of form so far this season. Yeah, you know, we're three games into the season, and Cobra Sala yet to score. Yeah, it should be
2: interesting to see. No, indeed, and, and, and the same question for you, Amanda. Um, You know, of, of, of the Mexican teams that, that, that we're going to be watching here, who do who do you think are your players to watch? You know, is there any young ones coming up, or, or you, you know, maybe some late developers that maybe people in Europe and the rest of the world have missed? Uh, I mean, I think in this tournament, there's not as many young
3: players as. It- for the Mexican side, as there were maybe with Jürgen Dam for. For tigres, last last uh, Libertadores and things like that, but there is one player in particular that's a young player, up and comer who's who's really shining. and That's defender Jordan Silva uh, for Toluca. He's a center defender. He he he's, he's he's good in the air. He's a strong kid. He's got good size, and he's already you know touted to to get some caps in the senior side if he can develop and continue to develop. Then him and uh, Carlos Salcedo from cheap um, from Chivas can can grow and be a good partnership for the senior side for quite some time. Uh, he's a player that I do like. Some other players that I think uh, can catch your eye I think for Toluca Carlos Esquivel is a player that I like a midfielder who who kind of all around well rounded he can pick a pass he can attack a little he can defend he, he's, he's a good he's a good little player I like him he's, he's one that we should watch look out for I think the team that that has less quality obviously is, is Puebla and, and I think they're going to struggle the most the, the only really standout player that I can think of off the top of my head is Cristian Bermudez and, and, and he's a midfielder their number 10 and he's really their talisman he's their go-to guy he's their guy on their free kicks. He's really their driving force for that team. And if if they're really going to get uh, out of the qualifiers and get into the group stages, then he's really going to be the catalyst, I think. And that's somebody to watch for. So Cristian Bermudez for for, for um, Puebla is, is their player, probably. Uh, another player at Toluca that's that's nice to, to look out for is goalkeeper Alfredo Talavera. He's also had some caps for the national team already. And uh, although he's not first or second choice, he has made an impact there from time to time. And he has made a cameo. And he's a player that I like as well. He's, he's quality he, he, he covers he, he covers the box well he commands his box well and I, that's that that's a goalkeeper that I like and he's strong in Liga MX and I think that he'll shine a little bit uh, for Toluca in this tournament as far as Pumas Pumas they have some quality Ismael Sosa in the midfield uh, Lalo Herrera up top he's a veteran striker he also has some some experience in the national side and he's somebody that scores goals for them on a regular basis in the defensive side that Dario Verón is their captain he's the you know he He's really the rock back there. And I think that he could be a leader and somebody for us to look out for as well. And another youngster for, for people to look out for on Pumas actually is, uh, Jose Carlos Barranquin, a defender. Uh, he could play on the flanks and he, he's a good player. He's good with the ball at his feet. He, he could deliver a good ball and he, he's also attack minded. So I like that. So those are, those are probably the players that I would keep an eye out for if I'm not too familiar with, uh, what we're watching in Libertadores here.
2: That's great, man. Absolutely great. And Austin, you know, again, the same question. I, I suppose a, a little more familiar with, uh, the players in Brazil, but for, for the four teams that are coming through, uh, into the Libertadores from, from, uh, Brazil, who, who would you recommend for maybe people watching for the first time or, are, or picking up this tournament for the first time, the guys to watch from Brazil?
0: Yeah, we talked about the kind of fire sale that went on at Corinthians this offseason. What that's been able to do is that's opened up spots in their team. Corinthians have one of the best youth academies in Brazil. And one of the guys who's coming through that is 17-year-old Mateus Pereira. It's going to be really interesting to see him get a spot in that midfield alongside national team player Elias. We'll, we'll see what he can do in that type of deal. For Palmeiras, their top two younger players would be Gabriel Jesus, who's going to play on the wing, for probably the right wing. He had a great season last season. He was big in their Copa do Brazil success. And then, as I mentioned, Eriki, who they just bought from Goias. There was a rumor that he might be going to Turkey and said he moved to Palmeiras. He signed a long-term deal. He's 21 years old so he'd probably be looking to make the move to Europe in a couple years, but he's a proven goal scorer. There's a logjam in Palmeiras' attack, but there will definitely be opportunities for him, if not in the Libertadores, then definitely in the Paulista and in the Brasileirão. if they're down, can continue to go on in this tournament. For Grêmio, they have one of the three best attack- young attackers in Brazil. I think the three are Gabi Gold for Santos, Gabriel Jesus for Palmeiras, and then Luan at Grêmio. He's a really good young player to keep an eye on, 22 years old, probably going to feature for the Brazilian Olympic side this year. I think he's definitely a player who can have a big impact for Sao Paulo. They also have some good young players. I mentioned him earlier Jonathan Kaliri, who moved from Boca Juniors, he's going to be spending six months with Sao Paulo, and then he's going to move on most likely to Italy to play with Inter Milan. They expect him to score goals, he's going to be their number one goal scorer. He's probably going to be their number one option up top when they debut against the Peruvian side they're taking on later this week. He's going to be the guy for them. And then Rodrigo Caio in the back line for them, only 22 years old, but he already has years of experience for Sao Paulo. He's a name to keep an eye on. And then one other name that's not necessarily a young guy, but Lucas Prato for Atletico Mineiro. Mineiro don't really have that kind of young youth setup that a lot of teams in Brazil might have. They have a lot more veteran players. Minato has a couple of foreign players. and Araso, in the central defense is one to keep an eye on. And then, of course, Lucas Prato up top scoring the goals. I really do like this Minato side. It'll be interesting to see they uh, have a new manager, Diego Hagueri, who managed Internacional to the semifinals of the Libertadores last year. So he's proven that he can win in this competition. If he can get things rolling for them, I think they have a shot to go a while I really do like this Minato team.
2: No, and you said that. I, I don't know whether you got First to see time. any of the, fl- the, the Florida Cup there. Um Austin... <laughs> in the states um the last couple of weeks back there um athletico looked bloody good in it uh you know i think it was uh schalke of germany i saw them play and and they did like they're, they're, you know okay schalke have been on their their winter break but they ripped them apart I, and i was really surprised at that did, did you pick up on that one yeah i did i did
0: i watched Minato in that tournament i watched Internacional in that tournament corinthians was also there I liked what I saw from the Brazilian side in that tournament. I was pretty impressed by what they were able to do against good European competition, especially, as you mentioned it, Mineiro and Internacional. Internacional looked on the offensive side. I think that's a team that we'll probably be talking about with the Libertadores next year. That's a really strong side. They have some good young players there. But yeah, I think the preseason performance from these teams has been good. They all debuted in the state leagues, which make of that what you will, which is probably not very much this past weekend. palmetto got a 2-0 win. Corintians stole one at the death. The problem for Corintians is going to be goal scoring. It was the same problem they had last year. Begna scored a couple goals for them, but wasn't a consistent goal scorer. He still somehow parlayed that into a move to Monaco. And now they don't have anyone who can score goals. Luciano is still hurt. He was kind of the guy they might have been expecting. Angel Homero can't score goals, and uh Luca is not a great goal scorer. So, Corinthians still have strength in the back. They still are probably going to have a strong midfield. The question for them is going to be: Can they score the goals?
2: No, and well, to be fair, in Brazil here, you know, they have until what is it, the 22nd of March. The, the window's still open, so the, the possibility in South America is they could still strengthen. They they, they might find. Uh, if they have available funds, that is, you know, a, a goal score. But as I say, that will unfold over the next couple of uh, the next couple of months. Listen, we're we're going to take a break at that with with a word from our sponsors. Uh, we'll be back directly after this. You're listening, You're listening to,
1: to the Youngfield Index podcast channel.
2: Okay, moving swiftly along and back into it again. Uh, I'm just going to talk about uh, the Libertadores and 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 you know who we fancy, who who we really see as the teams and the nations um, that, that are going to go deep in this one. I know I know uh, traditionally the Argentinians, the Brazilians um, have the tradition, uh, the, uh, the more strong tradition in this tournament, but there are teams uh, in the <laughs> within these groups, like so the Paraguayan teams and so on, that throw up a real banana skin for a lot of the. Big teams, uh, you know, well organized, well drilled teams that are really hard to, to to break down. And I'm going to start this time with Armando. Um, and, and just you know, who do you see maybe as as you know the, the real strength uh, in South America at the moment going into this tournament? And maybe who do you see as as the dark horses?
3: I think for me the obvious is Argentina. I think for all of us it's going to be hard to argue with Argentina. They're a strong powerful nation. Boca Juniors is going to probably for me is the favorite to take the tournament if they could stay healthy, they could stay informed. They got some players, uh, quality quality players. Nicolas Lodeiro is one of the players that I really like in this tournament and he's a player that really is impressed. He's had his his opportunity in Europe and it didn't really pan out for him and now he's uh, he's back in Argentina and he's playing quality. And I like him and he, he and another player for Boca Junior, Carlos Tevez, obviously is quality. And, and they just have a lot of, of just good players. And Boca Juniors is really the strongest side. River Plate also is really strong. Uh, Rosario is a strong side. And, and if racing gets in, racing is a strong side. So so Argentina has to be, for me, the favorite as far as the strongest nation is concerned. Brazil, I like the teams. I like the players. I, I mean, Brazil's always going to be hot and cold. We've seen that in consistency. The amount of turnover in, in players and in teams, it's, it, it happens all the time so especially more recently so we're seeing that and, and I'm always excited to see the Brazilian teams Gremio is a team that I really like as far as the Brazilian league I've always have, I've always kept my eye out on them and, and so I'm glad to see them in the tournament um, so I'm hopeful that they do well uh, for the Mexican sides I'm not too sure uh, who's really going to get out I think the strongest is going to be Pumas if Pumas could really get a run and get out of the group and, and maybe you know Get past one or two rounds in the knockout stages, then we're calling that really, really great run for Pumas. I think personally, um, as far as you know, the banana skin teams Nacional from Uruguay is a good team. I like that team. Deportivo Cali is a team that that can give you some problems. Atlético Nacional is another Colombian side that can give you some problems. So, so uh, those are probably the teams that I would really look out for. Um, Adam spoke about Colo Colo being a quality side. That they're they are, and, and it, i I think that they could really surprise some people too this tournament.
2: No, indeed. And, and I'll swing across too, Adam on that one uh, to, to retort to that. Again, you know, obviously you live down here, Adam, you, you get you get to see quite a bit of these teams and, and, and you know, all of the different leagues, I assume, like, like myself. Um, would you agree that Paraguay uh, and those, these Paraguayan teams are, are a bit of a a bit of a thorn in the side to the bigger ones? And what, what, what way do you see the, the, the tournament panning out? Do you see it? Basically, Argentina and Brazil dominating as usual.
4: Well, yeah, just, just to go back to the point Armando uh, made about uh, Colo Colo, um, what I will say about them is, is that their current manager, Jose Luis Sierra, he's under a bit of pressure, even though he's hardly lost any matches since he took over um, a few months ago. But he's come under a lot of criticism for his boring style of play. So uh, that's going to be interesting to see because... Um, Colo Colo being the biggest club here in Chile and how Chilean football is these days, you know, uh, winning isn't enough. You need to win with style. And winning with style here in Chile means, you know, playing that Bielsa Pauli way of always attacking, always being on the front foot. And this Colo so I don't really do that. You know, they look to keep clean sheets first. Yeah, it'd be interesting. As for the wider picture here in South America, yeah, I'm always, always really impressed by how year after year Paraguay managed to get these clubs into sort of the quarters, semis and even the final of the competition despite having a massive uh, financial disadvantage compared to many of the other sides on the continent. Of the clubs uh, in Colombia, well, I'd say Atletico Nacional and Santa Fe are potential dark horses to win this competition, uh, especially... After all, what's gone on uh, with Corinthians losing all their best players there in Brazil? Yeah, I, I, th- I think uh, I think Atletico Nacional and Santa Fe in Colombia could could turn into dark horses. Both have had decent runs in in South American competitions in recent years. I'd go for them.
2: No, that's cool, but uh, you know, as I say, it's, it's something about Paraguayan teams, and and I, and I think it is just the fact that they're so well drilled. Um, you know, it's a place I had uh, about it was just this time last year I was down there, and it's just the maddest place on earth, you know. And they do come up with some real mad results with with, with their teams, and and, and I, I can't help but it helps can't help but smile whenever you see the Paraguayans because they give it a hundred percent. But back to you again, um, Austin on on the Brazilian side of things and, and you know, where do you see, do you, do you see it as the traditional Argentina versus Brazil in, in, in club form uh, and, and where do you see the dark horses coming from in your view?
0: Yeah, I think first a word on the Paraguayan sides. You mentioned it. Guarani went into Corinthians last year and won a match at the Arena Corinthians, which is something (laughs) pretty much no one in Brazil could do. Uh, (laughs) Exactly. Corinthians lost one home match all season last year in the Down, and this tiny club from Paraguay came into São Paulo on a Wednesday night. And just behind the woodshed and silence, flat out beat them over two legs. Really? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So it's it's teams like that that can give teams problems. If you're well-drilled, you're well-disciplined, like you mentioned, they can have a good little run. Weesh. As I said
3: we, Go ahead. We, I'm sorry, not to, not to butt in, but we see the same with these Paraguay with Paraguay in, in, in the national side and in the national tournaments in Copa America and stuff like that. They have good runs for the simple reason that they're so well-drilled. I'm sorry, not to interrupt.
0: No, absolutely, yeah. And that's the thing that can kind of be the difference in these South American tournaments is the fact that coaching can make such a big difference because, like we said, it's not the Champions League. Real Madrid and Barcelona aren't walking through this door where no matter who's coaching that, you're going to have a successful team with that type of talent. There's not a team that has that transcendent talent that can just go out no matter who's coaching and win. And so a great coach can make a big difference in this tournament. As for the Brazilian sides, Corinthians was the favorite. Now, not so much because we just don't really know what we're going to get from them. Chichi's is still the best coach in Brazil. I'd say he's one of the best coaches in South America. But we just really don't know what he's working with. There's a lot of question marks with that side. I really like Grêmio's defense. Armando talked about it. Grêmio's a great side, they have some good talent. Douglas in the midfield, the Silver Fox, great nickname great player. Luan up front, I mentioned him. It's a good Gremio side. I don't know if it's a great Gremio side. It's, it can be said about Palmeiras. They're a good side, but they're not great. And it's Menino is exactly the same. They have definitely some talented players, but there is not a transcendent team in Brazil. São Paulo are trying out a new manager who's had success. They have great pieces. Are they all going to be able to fit together? That's the question. The favorites for this tournament have to be Hever Plate and Boca Juniors simply because they're the most talented sides, the traditional powers, and they should be able to make an impact in this tournament. As for a dark horse, I like Emilek from Ecuador mainly because we get to talk about Miller Bolaños, who's just a fantastic goal scorer. 25 goals last year. He just scores all the goals. He's 25 years old, and he seems perfectly content to just keep playing at Emilek. I think what And one other thing that I think deserves mention that we don't talk about necessarily in the UEFA Champions League or in continental competition in Europe is the fact that some of these places these teams play are remarkably different Bolivian clubs are not very good at playing football, but when you take a team that's not used to it and they have to play up at 3,600 meters, that's, for the American listeners, almost 12,000 12, feet, that's that's obscene to have to play at an elevation like that, we saw it last year, Internacional signed Anderson and he lasted 36 minutes in a match at the strongest, he just couldn't take it, that's phenomenal these these elevations are in places like this. Uh, I'm sure Adam can say Cobrasol is kind of in the middle of a desert that got some rounds when Corinthians were drawn with them on, (laughs) on Global Sports. It was this is where their stadium is. Look at it. So there's just some places that you see in the Copa Libertadores that you're never going to see in European football that going on the road can be really, really difficult for more than just the fact that your team is the team you're playing
2: is good. No, and and, and and that is the that you know that's the wonderment of, it. and and then also you have, you know I'll, I'll stay with you, Austin, because I know it's a bugbear with you. <laughs> I see your tweets often enough. You know our our favorite subject in South America is officiating and referees. And, and there are some mad decisions in, in, in this tournament. <laughs> I, I know you want to get it off your chest. Go ahead.
0: <laughs> well, firstly, I just loved the irony of the fact that first home match back of the year, first match of 2016, clean start. What happens? Corinthians gets a penalty at home. It's it's You can't write this narrative. And yes, it was the right call, but it's just Brazilian officiating is just bad. There's just so many... Bad decisions. If you watch the Champions League and you think you see bad decisions there, turn on a couple of Libertadores matches and just see what happens in 90 minutes. Refs can just lose control of the game. It happens in friendlies. We saw a friendly, I believe it was, Hiva and Boca the other night got out of control. It's just these officials in South America don't necessarily know how to control a game. It makes for thoroughly entertaining football. But when it's your team involved, it's definitely frustrating to watch. So that's something to keep an eye on. You never know what's going to happen. Phantom penalties can show up. Red cards can show up. Straight fouls get turned to red cards. Red cards get turned to fouls. It's just, it's South American football. It's what it is. You know, you're not really going to be able to change it. It's frustrating to watch, but, you know, it is what it is. You have to deal with it as a player.
2: No, indeed. And, and it's it's some of the facets that, that sets, you know, I know that okay, the Libertadores will never challenge the Champions League in stature, you know, at, at this moment in time. But, you know, I think it's, it's it's a very undervalued tournament. And Adam, I'd like to know your thoughts on that. And Number one, what do you think of the officiating in, in, in Chile as well? But also the status of, of the Libertadores. I just don't think it gets the exposure that it deserves because it is a bloody exciting tournament. Um, you know, given the fact that, as what Austin said there, your geography your ge- geographic locations at times can be a great leveler it's a completely different tournament um to what we see in europe
4: yeah a, a couple of points actually um austin there mentioned about uh, miller balanas uh the emilic striker i think i think i saw earlier that he's off to china i think that would another- be
0: unsurprising but definitely a possibility yeah.
4: I I think he's another one who's been snatched away from us, unfortunately, in this Copa Libertadores. Which is a shame as he's a he's a player I do enjoy watching and I I have enjoyed watching Emilek in uh, recent years in in the competition. Uh certainly a strong side at home. I agree with Austin on that point. As for you mentioned about Cobra Sal earlier, now the interesting thing about this team is uh but yeah, they're bang in the middle of the Atacama Desert, um, over 2,300 metres above sea level. So any team going there will have to deal with the altitude. The other interesting thing about Cobra Sal is that they're the only unbeaten side in the history of the Copper Libertadores. They've only played it once, which was in 1986, where they played six matches in the group stage, winning one and drawing five. But they're uh, quite proud of that record. that would be interesting. Um, Dave, you
2: also asked me another question about the... Just about the officiating. Is it as bad in Chile as as it is in Brazil? Because what we see here is just like it's the Muppet Show.
4: Um, Yeah, I I I think uh, I've I've seen some good uh, examples of refereeing here in Chile and some bad ones. Uh, One thing that I do like that they're quite consistent on here in Chile, not so much in... uh, in the Copa Libertadores, that's for sure. But here in the Chilean league, is uh, added on time. They nearly always get this right. And if say there's um, an injury during added on time, then they will show another board adding on more injury time. Say there was five minutes initially, then a player gets injured during that five minutes, and then they put up at like another board saying, oh, there's going to be in, like another two minutes." So you know, it's it's quite transparent in in some ways uh, that at least and and also in the Chilean League they have like a blind draw to draw the referees for each game I don't know how it works in other countries in South America but also you know there and and designed as fair as possible you know so there can't be um, any accusations of cheating um, or of like presidents paying for a certain referee for certain big matches or something like that which I think happened in the past here and which is now why they have this
2: Kind of blind draw? No, indeed. I think you know. You talk about blind draws. Um, it's just blind in Brazil. <laughs> Forget to draw. It's just blind. Uh, Mando, for you, is, is there a, is there any locations in, in, of these Mexican teams that that give home advantage and, and things like that? And and, and you, you, the state of the the game, you refereeing wise, officiating in Mexico. Well, what what are you seeing at the moment there, mate
3: Well, I mean, I would say officiating is probably not as bad as Brazilian football. um Uh, I guess that's not too difficult to be, not as bad as that. But it's okay. I mean, it's laughable at times, but pretty much it's consistent, I would say. Um, I think for me, the state of of the game is really, you know... with, with the officials and stuff, the where where it gets dicey, I think, is, is uh, the bigger teams when, when you're playing at places like at the Estadio Azteca and you have America or you're playing, you know, at the Omni Life with Chivas and stuff like that. Those teams do tend to get bigger calls, better calls. So I see where that can be a little suspect in gray area. But other than that, it tends to be pretty consistent with all around everywhere else. I mean, pretty much. Um my two cents on on Miller Bolaños, actually. Uh, neither club has confirmed anything. It's all up in the air. So he may be going to China. He might not be. Nobody said anything for official yet. So probably by the time this podcast is out, everybody will know, uh, to be fair. But yeah, uh, I'm sorry, Dave. What else did you ask me?
2: No, just about um, the, the geographical locations of the teams in Mexico. Is there anything there that, that would cause uh, maybe a visiting team a problem?
3: No, I wouldn't say so. I think it, it, that that that's not going to give us a home field advantage other than the fan base and and the, and the crowds and, and and you know how how you know mad, football mad Mexicans can be and and the, those nations you saw it at the at the World Cup in Brazil and how we travel and how how we really love our football and our and our side. So other than that, I think it's pretty going to be a pretty even playing field as far as altitudes, as far as things like that. I don't think it's going to be conditions that these teams aren't too familiar with. To be fair,
2: no, indeed. Um, well, at least there's that. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I, I, I want to take a, a, just a, a quick look, just to close off the, off the pod here, you know, because it does start tomorrow night um, with with the start of the, the basically what they call the first stage, which is is basically like the qualifiers that we see in the the Champions League in Europe. Um, and, and and there's what there's two four, there's six of them. Um, and I'm just wondering, you know, what what your thoughts would be on 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 who you you see progressing from there. And I'll start with you, Austin. Um we have uh, Santa Fe against Orient uh, Petrolio. W- w- what do you see for that one?
0: Uh, Bolivian teams aren't particularly good in this competition. And Orient Petrolio, I believe, is not one of the Bolivian teams that plays at elevation. So they don't even have that advantage for them. So going to go with no for that one. Santa Fe is probably the favorite
2: there. Yeah, I think they would be the stronger. Anybody anybody got any other uh, thoughts on that? Feel free to chip in, Adam uh, or, or Rando.
4: No, certainly Santa Fe, yeah.
2: Yeah, hundred percent. I think it has to be Santa
3: Fe. Like like Austin said, uh, Bolivian teams are don't fare too well, and, and I don't think this is going to be any different.
2: No, and I'll stick with you then um, for, for for this one. Uh, Huracan uh, against Caracas, uh, Mando. What way do you see that one going? Legs? I, I
3: would probably go with Huracan. You know, I I think they're probably the stronger side, and
2: I think that they they they're, they're going to edge this and get into the group stage for sure. Okay, okay, and Adam. Uh, Adam or Austin, any, any any differing views on that one? Venezuela,
0: Venezuelan teams are a lot like Bolivian teams; they don't do very well in this competition, so not going to see much from the Venezuelan sides. And and also, Huracan
4: <laughs> have been quite a handy cup side as well in the last couple of years. So yeah, They I have expect- indeed. I expect them to win
2: so, that one. Uh, for for you, Adam, then Puebla against uh, Racing of of Argentina. I, I'm, I'm sure. I'm pretty sure I know where you're going. In this but, one.
4: Yeah, I was, I was I was kind of going to ask uh, Amanda a question. Actually, shoot me. Uh, go go ahead. Uh, yeah, how seriously is it taken in Mexico this competition? Uh, for us, for uh, us, how bothered are Puebla about this game?
3: Uh, for Puebla, it's, it's it's a big deal. They're not that massive of a club, and, and they've had their struggles. So I'm sure for their fan base, it's really big deal, especially getting in here. I mean, they got in here by winning the Super Copa MX, so they got a trophy to get in here. So it is kind of a big deal for them. I think for the Mexican sides, mainly once we get out of the groups, it becomes a really big deal. We really try to win this competition. We've seen that with Chivas, and once we do get to those stages, and and we start to, you know, think of the possibility of winning a, a Copa Libertadores, something a Mexican side has yet to do, when we were so close last year with with uh, with Tigres the, the the whole country became a Tigre fan you, yeah. you you really jump on that and you really do regardless of, of you know your club you know, orientation or who you care for or whatever or rivalries set aside, you know, because at that point, you, you want Mexican clubs to succeed in, in something that, you know, is a South American competition and prove and make our mark. You know what I mean? So, so for us, yeah, it, it is a big deal, especially when we get into those, uh, knockout stages and get closer to the final. So yeah, we really would have loved to have seen, uh, Tigres lift the trophy, uh, uh, in the last Libertadores. It would have meant a lot to the nation, I think. And then for Mexican football as a whole, you know, we, we're, we're growing, you know, bringing in players like Geniac and players of that ilk and and we saw him in Copa Libertadores last season and he's make his mark and really propel you know Tigres to that level and I think uh when we're growing at the, at that rate it's it's great and I think sooner or later we are going to get a crown in, in Libertadores so the interest is growing and it but it is massive to to begin with I'd say
4: okay no, well, that's awesome. Despite all that, I'm probably still going to say resting,
3: As you should. As you should. <laughs> because, shit, I am too. Because Puebla, to be honest, probably doesn't have a shot in hell. I I've you, got, you I've you got to fancy say... In any
2: form, man, though, no? Not no, in any it'll, form. You take, don't
3: a, it'll take a small miracle. And if they do, believe me, I'll be the first to admit I'm wrong and I will be rooting my socks off for Puebla in the entire tournament. <laughs> but I, I do not think that, that, that they have... Uh, a good standing chance to be honest so i've got to, to, to
2: say adam go ahead
0: oh, i've got to say about the uh the national uh pride type deal as a Palmeiras fan and maybe this is because i'm not brazilian i'd much rather see heaver plate or boca juniors win the Libertadores <laughs> than Corinthians or São Paulo. i've got to be honest with
3: you i hear you I'd much
0: rather another country take it than than one of my i think
3: rivals. for us bb well, we've here. never won a Libertadores, I think that's the main thing. I think we want to claim one as a nation. So at that, I think the, the thirst for a Copa Libertadores is what drives that, uh, that type of uh, unity, I think.
4: Yeah, well, I, I think uh, uh, from here, the perspective in Chile is, as Chilean football hasn't had many successes, then, yeah, a kind of uh, a Copa Libertadores win for one of the clubs in the competition would be huge for the country's football. But there would be, you know... Some fans pretty unhappy if Universal had to Chile won it. I can't imagine that too many Colo Colo fans are going to be celebrating that. So um, it's an interesting. Only one Chilean club has won this competition, and that's Colo Colo. So, and even their return in this competition is pretty poor. You know, they've won it once, and they've competed in it over thirty times. Um, you know, for the backing they get here in Chile, I think they probably should have had. Added a couple more tiles.
2: No, it's incredible actually. Living in, in Brazil, you're talking about what what it means, you, you know. And, and don't get me wrong, Libertadores is big business in, in Brazil, but there there's no rivalry once it comes to to um, the Libertadores. You know, uh, it's, it's like he it used to say, "Support a British club in, in in the Champions League." The Brazilians all get behind the teams that are there. If a team falls and it's your team falls, you get behind the next team that you, you fancy, and it's a, it's a kind of alien. Concept for me living in Brazil because you know <laughs> English football is blood and thunder and rivalry and you wouldn't dare you know uh, like you know you wouldn't dare support Manchester United for me in, in, in the Champions League you're, you're, you're delighted the same going Brazilians don't think that way and also there's a secondary point uh, for, for Brazil as well this is entry into the World club, cult club Championship which is the most revered it's nearly as revered as the World Cup as the World Cup internationally um, you know Brazilians absolutely love the, the, the being able to say that one of their clubs is world champion uh, and even though it's devalued by the by the rest of the planet um you, you know and, and certainly the teams in europe don't take it as, as seriously as what they do in south america um it, it, it makes for the libertadores being a completely fascinating uh tournament uh, austin have you anything you want to add there
0: no, you're exactly right about the Club World Cup. You can see it in Corinthians when they won that a couple of years back, defeating Chelsea in the final. Just how big that was for them as a club. And Chelsea never... were sort
2: of like, meh. Right, <laughs> you know, it meh did, exactly. Yeah, when, big, that was another game, yeah. You right.
0: Bar- yeah, Barcelona wins the Club World Cup. But, but for these South American sides, you're exactly right. The Club World Cup is a big, big deal to them because… You know, I'm sure we've talked about it. You recognize it, that South American football is second tier to European football. And so a chance to prove on a big stage that you're as good as these European sides, that's something that these clubs really
2: value. No, indeed. And, and you know, it, it, I just find it it's refreshing in one way, but it's quite confusing. in the other say the way that the, the, the clubs you can take allegiance to a different club in, in the competition because they're representing the nation and you know in some ways it's nice in some way it takes away the sort of tribalism that I do love about football but back to Adam again and, and put you on the spot I take it uh, you, you're, you're going to pick racing for, for, for the for the third game to, to, to come over uh, to overcome Pueblo yes and Mando the same and, and Austin the same yeah yes okay no problem I'm going to stay with you uh, <laughs> I'll stay with you Adam for the for the River Plate uh, Universidad de Chile uh, what way do you see it going my man
4: yeah, I think I think Lule are going to have enough to uh, to win this one as long, as long as they don't blow it in tomorrow night in the away leg. You know, if the defence holds up away from home, and I, I see them winning probably quite comfortably in the in the home leg. One of
2: us what, what, what kind of what what kind of a crowd do those guys get? Um, you know, for four games, you know, for the likes of the Libertadores game, what 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 would we get? You know, what was the average attendance for for those?
4: Yeah, it's so unpredictable here in Chile. Um, the the attendances. Um, well, the the obvious thing to say is, you know, when a team is doing well, the attendances suddenly shoot up. You know, and everybody's suddenly the biggest fan ever. And you know, I was always there from in the bad days kind of thing. <laughs> but if you if, if if you look at old videos, then that's obviously not true because you know when they are struggling, you don't see anyone there. Yeah, attendances in general at the moment in Chile are really bad, really bad state. You know, here my local team,
2: Adam, just just. Just out of curiosity, because you know we, we do have the whole thing about uh, you know the price of football in, in Brazil. We, we have it in Europe as well. In, in Chile, is, is it affordable for the for the average working man to attend these games, or is it like Brazil here? It's just it's starting to get out of reach of the real hardcore support.
4: No, I, I'd say that it's. Uh... Still pretty much affordable. Um, so the club game is anyway. The national team, no, I'd say that kind of your working your working man's probably been classed out of the Chile international matches, which was one of the big controversies of the uh, of the Copper America last year amongst Chileans, um, and probably why the stadium wasn't quite as bouncing as it has been in the past for big games, despite them winning it. Well, I I, I go and see my local team here, which is San Marcos de Erika and I. I pay five pounds for each match. It would work out as what's that? Seven, eight dollars, I guess. At the moment, not sure of the exchange rate. And
2: and 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 that's like fifty percent of what I would pay for a Serie B game here in Brazil. So you know, uh, I think. Sort of, I've answered my own curiosity there just, just, just with that. But listen, let, let, let's march on. I want, to, I want to move across again to, to Mando for the independent. Uh, oh, God, me and my pronunciations with Latin languages. Independente del Valle uh, against Guarani. Who do you well, see?
3: I would probably go with Guarani. Paraguayan side, they're yep. going to be stout. You know, <laughs> we. I think we're all going to be in favor here. Guarani's probably going to be the, the team to advance yeah. here i don't think anybody
2: got anything different or anybody want to disagree guadalara
0: they're a dark horse name i think to keep an eye on (laughs)
2: throughout the tournament uh everything about paraguay is a dark horse trust me the only
4: thing thing i'll add is independent independent they uh, picked up quite a lot of uh continental experience in recent years it's it's one of the tighter ones i think potentially yeah yeah
2: it's one I'm hoping to get to actually see. Uh, that one, because I do, I do enjoy watching the Paraguayans. They're, they they, do file with a certain panache. Uh, so, finally, the, the sixth game, I'm going to come to you, Austin, at Sao Paulo against Universidade de Cesar. Oh, help me out here, Mando. V- Vallejo.
3: Cesar yeah, Vallejo. Correct. Cesar Vallejo. Universidad Cesar Vallejo. You got it, Dave. Anytime. See,
2: I, I, I'm doing it in Portuguese. You, you do it much more eloquently with Spanish. <laughs> so, Austin, what, what, what do, you, do you think Sao Paulo have, have the beaten of this crowd?
0: Oh, absolutely. I think Sao Paulo got pretty fortunate with their draw. I think heading into the playoff draw, they were looking for either the Peruvian side or the Venezuelan side. They got the Peruvian side. Uh, if Paulo loses this, Edigardo Bausa might be fired after three matches, which wouldn't be all that odd for Paulo or for a Brazilian manager for that matter. But I don't think he's losing this. Paulo should be straight through the group stage.
2: No, hard to disagree with. Anybody got any any other alternative views on it? No, South no. <laughs> Well, listen. I, I'm just going to go around the table. If there's if there's anything else that anybody wants to bring before we before we close, anything, any other business, anything on your mind you want to get off your chest about anything? Uh, and, and I'll I'll start with Mando. Uh, anything at all? Um,
3: for me, I think I just wanted to ask the panel as a whole: How many of these matches do we think, percentage wise, do we expect to end up with a full 22 men on the pitch? Because we know how South American <laughs> football gets to be.
2: A brilliant question. <laughs> Two percent.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's going to be tough. I I, I agree. It's going to be pretty. Uh, it's going to be a large percentage of uh, of red cards. To be honest,
2: we can we also do a sweet stick on it. A, on a, go ahead, Adam. Y'all.
4: Even even if they get through the ninety minutes of play, usually just after the final whistle there's there's something which happens
2: yeah absolutely
3: extracurricular <laughs> activities all the time yeah, it happens yeah, i was about it. to say
2: how,
4: how,
2: how many today. will be abandoned
0: yeah that's a thing we have to consider too we didn't finish he ever played boca juniors last year because we had some fan violence so it's a possibility you never know it didn't
2: it didn't finish but they were there at about two o'clock in the morning standing in the center circle which was an absolute farce but uh, again it's part and parcel of this you wouldn't see it in Europe and that's what makes this tournament just to, to me so fascinating yeah, it um, makes it fun. you know it's, it's 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 so culturally different it's so culturally removed from from the organization that we see in Europe uh, and so on and, and so you know okay yes yeah, it's a little bit violent at times but it is sort of like a breath of fresh air it's like stepping back to the future if you know what i mean adam for, for you any, anything you want to get off your chest Yeah, a
4: question for you and uh, Austin, really, there in Brazil. And something that I've wondered about for a few years, you know, when I was growing up and also when I first moved over here. I was always sort of told that the biggest team in Brazil was uh, Flamengo. Is that is that still the case? So um, I kind of imagine it's probably Corinthians now. No,
2: no, it's Flamengo. You live in the com- you live in the co- you live in the country. Uh, they, they claim they're the biggest supported team in the world now. Um, that, that, that's the call from Brazilians. There's no two ways about it. I live in the Northeast, full of Flamengo. Um, and any region I go to, whether it be the south, the, the interior of the country, the northeast of the country, you, you know, even even people from the northeast support Flamengo. Uh, and it goes back. It's generational. It's passed on through families, Adam. Um, you know, and, and for, for example, uh, Flamengo played here at the Arenas d'Astunas Dunas in, in Natal. I think it was towards yeah. the end of last season. I mean, you couldn't have got a ticket for it. Up here, And, you know, normally our, our average gate receipts are, are, you know, five to six thousand for a game. Uh, they could have sold the stadium out four times over because Flamengo were coming. And Flamengo, as Austin, I'm sure will jump in, are not what you would class the greatest side or anywhere near the greatest side in Brazil. And haven't been, certainly in the time I've been here. Austin, I'll, I'll let you take the rest. Yeah, you're exactly right. Flamengo is still far and away the biggest
0: side in Brazil is Far as far as supporters go, Flamengo could play anywhere in the country and they would draw a crowd just like you mentioned, they could go to Manaus and fill that arena they've gone to Brasilia and filled that arena they could fill pretty much any stadium in Brazil with a big number of fans and that's remarkable because they haven't been the best club in Brazil, they were a mid-table squad last year, they had did some good work this offseason, but they look like they're going to be about that again this year. I, I do like the hiring of Maurício Amalio. I think he's going to be a good coach for them. I think they have a good foundation. But the thing about Flamengo is they're always going to have fans no matter what.
2: No, that's that's very true. And, and you, you know, you see the, the shirts, as I say, and, and it's so apparent. It, it's the one shirt that you see around Brazil, as I say, I've been all over. And everywhere you go, there's you're you're confronted by Flamengo shirts more than than any other uh, team in Brazil. Um, to be honest with you, I would say Sao Paulo uh, would be would be second and Corinthians third um, right. in that list, uh, and then you know the Rio clubs come in after that again. But uh, definitely by far and away, Adam, far and away is Flamengo.
4: Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good to know. It's still the case. It's just that one or two people sort of told me because their recent success, you know. Per inference, uh are catching up.
2: Well, uh, they, they may be catching up, but put it like this I would, in my opinion, and what I see here, they have a, long, <laughs> they have a lot of catching to do. You know, it, it, it's a hell of a lot of catching. Right, over to Austin. Any Anything you want to, to, to have a bit of a, a moan about before we go? I just think, um, you know, we talked
0: about how Corinthians lost a lot of players to China, they lost a lot of players to everywhere. Outside of what happened with Corinthians, I really did think that Brazilian clubs had a really good transfer window. I thought a lot of solid Argentinian players are coming into the country to play this year that I'm excited about. I thought Santos probably had the best window because they didn't lose anybody. They lost Giovanni to China, replaced him with Paulinho from Flamengo. They hung on to Lucas Lima, who, for my money's worth, is the best player playing in Brazil right now. Ricardo Oliveira still up he, uh, Ricardo Oliveira is still up top. Gabby Goal is still on the right wing for them. So they have a really strong side still. I liked a lot of what Brazilian sides did this offseason. Even up in up around you, at least close to that area, Dave, had a really good offseason. Signed a couple of foreign players that I'm excited to see them watch. So outside of Corinthians, I thought as a whole, the rest of Brazil had a very good window. And I was happy to see that.
2: I know. And, and when you're talking about Recife, if you're talking about Recife, we'll have to give Santa Cruz a plug because I'm really looking forward to this year. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. Lots, it's lots, going to be of- it's going to be mental, absolutely yeah. mental. And, and, and imagine them if, if they were managed to get into the G4 next year, what that would bring to that tournament. You know what I mean, and that's and that would be a, a dream of, of those guys reaching that kind of level because it is a wonderful advertisement for for the Brazilian game instead of an empty stadium, one that's full and not just full, rocking full.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Santa Cruz, could uh, the the power that they have in that region, they could sell out multiple stadiums. And that's the thing about Brazil in this competition is Libertadores matches do generally draw pretty well, especially when it's the big side, sides competing in them. I can guarantee you Palmeiras are going to sell out just about every Libertadores game. Corinthians are exactly the same. Gremio have a nice arena. They'll probably do really well. It'll be interesting to see what Minato does if they choose to play at the Independencia, which only seats 16,000, or if they move to the bigger Minato across town, what they choose to do for all of their matches. But we should definitely see big crowds just about everywhere in Brazil.
4: Yeah, to come back to the point about crowds in Chile, because I didn't really answer answer it uh last time um kind of went off on on a bit of a rant <laughs> as we do <laughs> <laughs> you know easily done when talking about South American football yeah I, I would expect Colo Colo to probably sell out their home games one of us to Chile if they're playing well will probably sell out their home games that is completely dependent on the results where Cobresal don't know if you know but you know this is a small this is a probably the smallest club in the whole competition you know, they they only they have less than a thousand fans, um, despite playing in a stadium which holds twenty thousand. So it's going to be quite an empty arena. The town itself that they play in, El Salvador, um, only has a population of seven thousand. So the fact wow. that they get like a few hundred people turn up is quite impressive. <laughs> When, if you that look is. at like the percentage of the population, wow. Yeah, because so, it's just a mine, it's just a mining uh,
2: settlement, really. Um, you know, it yeah. Didn't, well, uh, well where, I, where I live at the minute, we have five thousand, so I can actually equate to that and go wow, yeah. because that is quite incredible. So um,
4: yeah, so expect a uh, uh, kind of uh, an em- empty terraces when you watch the Cobra Saddle games, no matter if Corinthians are coming or or whoever.
2: Well listen guys time has marched on, on us and I just want to go round the table um to to see if we've got anything you want to plug or any websites or anything any work you're doing at the moment and, I'll, and I'm with you Adam so I'll stay with you is there anything else you want want to plug no, nothing to plug, Dave. Cool, mate. And across to Austin, uh, working on anything, any any blogs or anything at the minute, mate?
0: Yeah, I just finished a piece for the Botafogo Star on what to watch in the state leagues of Brazil. Uh, for the listeners who don't know, Brazil spends January to May competing in state leagues in each of the 26 states, which sees... The big sides take on some really little sides, and there's sometimes some good football, and there's sometimes some really bad football, and there's usually always some really bad pitches. So I just had a little what-to-watch-for piece for the Both of Fogo star on that, some young names to keep an eye on. I know uh, people are always looking out for those. Who are the players to watch in Brazil? Who's up and coming? Who should I keep an eye on? There's definitely some of those in there as well. And I also talked a little bit about what happened with Corinthians and what they can do moving forward. So that's where we're at with that.
2: Well, the one thing about the state championships, you can knock them all you want, but the one thing they do provide us with is plenty of goals. <laughs> the, let it never be said, there, there's plenty of goals in them because of those mit- mismatches. And, no, and yourself, no, Mr. Sorry, also go ahead, Austin.
4: No, it was me, Adam uh to plug my twitter handle really so far, I, oh, far away you can find me at at scores or search for my name adam brandon and it should come up yeah and follow me on there i'm usually ranting about uh Chilean football or norwich city so if either of those things interest you then <laughs> give me a follow
2: well we did have some might be debate over the 5-4 over the <laughs> but well, and, and we'll just let's leave it there just, let's leave it there I've, only, I've, only, I've only just
4: recovered from that so I've got uh, a, me, me,
2: me too and we won so that'll tell you everything you need to know uh, we, we've
4: Mr. Uh, tomorrow night so now the best team <laughs> I've seen so far this season so I'm dreading it
2: really oh well there's always that listen mr angulo what what have you got moving i I believe you might have another little podcast extra coming up for us and and anything else you're on at the moment
3: yeah actually i'll be recording a podcast tomorrow with uh so the fine people at corner of the galaxy uh they're going to be helping me cover some mls with the galaxy signing a lot of european talent with ashley cole nigel de jong and some up-and-coming youngsters too we're going to talk a little bit about that so that should be recorded tomorrow and out shortly as well i also got a couple pieces uh i got like three articles out on world football index in the last couple couple weeks a pep guardiola piece on his time in sinaloa with dorados so i got a piece on carlos fierro the football manager uh, manager whiz kid all the european all my European followers. High- about him on Football Manager, and all my Mexican followers talk about the real person. So it's kind of funny. And, uh, and I think they're
2: completely different things, man. Though, yeah,
3: you no, know, they're the same guy, I guess. But I mean, yeah, but, I don't no, know. But,
2: what, I'm talking about expectation wise. Yeah, fa- absolutely. And on this side of the world, I don't
3: know anything about Football Manager, so whatever. Um, and, and, and then I, I just got a piece on a, a Universidad de Chile uh, graduate. Yeah, uh, Igor Livchowski Lich, out. Uh, that just came out today, so that's another piece for everybody to look out for. So yeah, that's I'm a busy man Dave, you know me. Indeed,
2: always busy and myself, I have absolutely nothing to plug because this is the first podcast I've done in four weeks due to being underwater and no internet and having to have a 25 metre <laughs> ethernet cable to actually do this. You don't even want to know. Uh, <laughs> but All all, all, all I'm going to say is that uh, I'm back uh, and hopefully we'll be getting, uh, hopefully we've got the, the Transfer Window special coming up with young Leroy, uh, who's going to join us and take a look at what happened uh, globally around with the, with the transfers, hoping to, to get that maybe done um, towards Wednesday Thursday time, or and, and, and get it out towards the end of the week. Uh, and, and other than that, we will be back again. Uh, I'm not sure we'll w- we be. We'll take a look at the first leg of, of these of these games, or we'll just wait until the second leg. We'll, we'll all to be decided. And we've got the Italian ninety thing coming up. That we're going to get involved in as well very shortly. So there'll be plenty of contact coming at you. But. That's about it from us. I would just like to thank Adam and um, Austin. I nearly forgot your name, Austin. Oh, my apologies. <laughs> but again, for coming back in the pod I say both your second time on. And I'm really looking forward to, to, to us getting more in depth into this as, as the tournament goes along. As I say, we've got some other faces coming along from Argentina and, and people from Brazil as well going to join us um, You know to talk through this tournament. So hopefully we can give you a good coverage of it uh, as it goes on. But from me, all that's left to say is just thank you again for everybody for listening. Apologies for our, our absence over the last four weeks, beyond my control. Act of God or El Nino or whatever it is, I don't know. But thank you again for listening. And from everybody at WFI, it's good night.